another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your mind Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one day for you, the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't come into you today from Arlington, Texas, we have another uh, listener feedback show today where we are going to uh, take your questions, comments, suggestions, and different things that you guys have sent to me by email. Some of it is just going to be emails from people I'm going to read on the air. Some are going to be uh, comments on some uh, articles and things like that you sent me. And some of them are just going to be flat out your questions. Hey, Jack, what do you think about or what can I do about, or what have you. I've got some great questions keyed up today, including a couple that came in first thing this morning that were just great questions, and I decided to jump them to the head of the line because they were really great questions. Before we do that, though, let's knock out our housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping item number one, of all, as always, is uh, taking care of our sponsors. They do a lot to support the show, so it will be here five days a week for you, Monday through Friday. Even when I'm on vacation, I generally pre-record a show and make sure that you guys don't miss a show just because I'm off uh, playing games or whatever. All right, so sponsor of the day number one today, MERSradio.com. It's actually MERS-radio.com. Uh, MERS is a great secondary means of communication. You don't have a huge range. You're talking a mile-ish in the range between the handhelds. But what makes MERS really cool is that very few people actually use it, so you get a lot more uh, privacy than you generally would get with the -the off-the-shelf cheapo radios from the store, uh, the little GMRS radios, family uh, FRS, family frequency stuff. But they also have the ability to incorporate motion sensor detectors in and add a level of security to your property that's combined with secondary communications methods. I really like mine. Um, It's doing a lot for me. It's not just the security measure, but... But since I have one near the gate, I know if one of the dogs is trying to escape the backyard. So it's amazing. You don't realize how valuable something is until you put it in place and start realizing what it will do for you. Check out MERS-radio.com. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you're going to get first, uh, first class service over there as well and all your questions answered. Sponsor of the day number two. Backyard Food Production. Uh, get their DVD if you don't have it yet. It's an amazing DVD. You'll learn so much. I have to watch it over and over and over again um, just to uh, just to continue to realize all the little nuggets that are spread throughout the DVD. Quick note on those guys. Uh, Saturday this week, we're having a workshop down uh, at their location on primitive hunting and trapping skills. I'll be down there. Can't register now. It's too late. I think all three workshops, January, February, and March, are full now. Uh, but I'll be at the January one, the February one, and possibly the March one. So uh, look forward to meeting some of you guys there. I've heard from some of you that you're going to be there. But check out Backyard Food Production. Moving on from there. Get involved in our forum. Please become part of our community. If you're not part of our community, why are you not part of our community? How, how, how more direct can I be? We have 10,000 people listening. We have 5,000 people that are members of the forum. There's a delta of about 50%. If you listen to this show frequently, uh, you should be on the forum. Because even if you don't post often, just get to know the people that are out there that you can depend on and rely on and you can get information from. There's a PhD in preparedness waiting for you there. Uh, next up, check out our store. We have cool stuff, t-shirts, hats, uh, challenge coins, which should be shipping soon. Um, really cool stuff in the store. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Um, the Member Support Brigade is really turning into a huge piece of value. It's become more than I ever envisioned it would be when I first put it together. I just wanted a way for people to support the show. Um, here's the stuff that got added over the weekend. I already mentioned uh, that we had added the fire pistons from Wilderness Solutions. So that's not really a new ad, but I sent that out in the email. But we've also added Global Sun Ovens as a supporting vendor, and they are doing $50 off the purchase of a Global Sun Oven. So if you're going to buy a Global Sun Oven this year anyway, you get your membership back 100%. If you're not going to buy one, check it out because you might want to buy one anyway. And then the Berkey guy, who's one of our great sponsors, Directive 21, stepped up and said, here's what I'll do. Uh, the little $29 uh, Berkey Sport water bottles, the portable water filter bottles, um, anybody that orders anything from me, even if it's like you know a bunch of replacement cartridges or something for an existing system, I'll give them one of those bottles for free. They'll just call their order in with a special offer. So that's basically every time you order from them, you can get one. Now, that's I, 
I was really shocked when he made that offer. I don't know how, you know, the thing about the vendors, guys, is they can always at some point say, okay, I've done this offer long enough, I want to change it, do something new, or I want to back out. So I take these offers while you have the opportunity. So those are just some of the things that a member support brigade. But what it comes down to is, do you think you get 20 cents in value a day from the member support brigade or from the show? Because that's what it comes down to. You're supporting the show at less than 20 cents an episode. So if the show's not worth 20 cents to you, don't join the MSB. But if it is, think about it. And I promise you, at this point, I can say you'll get your money back on day one. Uh, you could probably pay for three years and get your money back on day one now. All right, so with that, let's move on to the main topic of today's show. Let's take uh, our first question. And I have a really interesting question. Uh, that I, I really, as soon as I read it, I'm like, boy, I can't wait to answer that one. This comes to uh, us from one of our forum moderators, uh, known as Heavy G on the forum. And um, this is an interesting question. I want you to listen to it. I'm going to read the whole thing now that I'm not in the car. I can actually do that. My wife says I've been negative for about a year. She says I've been talking about the government, in quotes, and the economy. She doesn't disagree that things are bad. She just wants me to be more positive. She said she wants the old G back. So, so do I. She has a point. Morale is important, as important as anything, but especially important when things get hairy. I need to be more positive, but I won't slow down on prepping one tiny bit. I plan on not listening to as much gloom and doom news and economic stuff. I will listen to little bits of political stuff on TSP and keep my eye on the DC clowns, but I won't be dwelling on a zillion reasons why the ass clowns are ruining this country and running this country into the ground. I can't stop them. All I can do is be prepared for the consequences. I should be glad that I'm reasonably well prepped and let the grasshopper chips fall where they may. Do you have any suggestions for staying positive but still maintaining your prepping work? Heavy G. Uh, yeah, I have lots of suggestions for you there, man. This is, uh, this is one of those things that this is why the Survival Podcast exists in the first place. This is why my entire show exists. This is why from day one when you looked at the top of the site it said, helping you live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. That's what it's all about. So let's look at some prepping things. Let's look at having a garden. Um, so I'm building a garden, putting in permaculture crops, what have you. I, I can't see anything that's not positive about that. My entire time that I'm working on that, I'm thinking about I'm improving my landscape, I'm improving the value of my land, I'm eating better, I'm getting healthy, I'm being outside, I'm enjoying that. So that's 100% positive. Well, let's turn to something a little bit different. Let's say we're uh, amassing a collection of firearms, potentially for self-defense, uh, or in a, you know real defense in a major shit hit the fan. Well, if nothing goes wrong, I'm building a gun collection. I'm ensuring that the Second Amendment of the Constitution is upheld because the more people that partake in the ownership and responsible use of firearms, the more preserved that amendment will be. I'm ensuring the future of my nation because I am a rifleman and I am here to defend it if I need to be. That's pretty positive. I'm also going to look at it a little bit pragmatically and say if nothing else, nothing goes wrong, it's never necessary. You know what? I'm building a great collection of firearms that are considered modern firearms today. And someday when my grandchild or great-grandchild has their hands on a collection like that, they'll be relics. And that will be handed down from my generation forward. That's pretty positive. Storing food. Okay, there's the gloom and doom, right? We're storing food. Oh, man, we got to get ready. we got to get ready. We're down, hunkering down, man. We don't know. How, we better have a year's worth of food. I mean, God, you know, hey, you know what? When you store food, you create convenience for yourself. Make sure you store what you eat and eat what you store, at least to some degree. If you do that, you'll be able to show the positive aspects of it to your wife. So f- figure out the things that you're always running out of. That she's always running out of. That she's always like, man, I wish we had. Store that. And then every time she goes, we're out of this. Go, no, we're not. Here you go. Put it on your list and replace it. Do that three or four times. You'll have a pretty positive message going there. You look at collecting uh, gold and silver and having some level of real money in your life. Well, that's a pretty pleasurable activity for me. I don't know about you, but I enjoy collecting silver coins. I enjoy the fact that every once in a while I can go through a little bit of my silver collection and think, hey, even if we never sell this stuff, even if we never have to rely on this stuff again, that same great-grandchild or that same great-nephew or great-great-nephew or great-great-great-nephew or third cousin or whatever that's sitting there holding his his old great-uncle or great-great-grandfather's old shotgun, maybe sitting there looking at a coin that was minted 150 years ago and realize it was kept in the family and passed out. I mean, how much more positive could we be as preppers and as a prepper community 
than to do the things that we do every day in case the shit hits the fan and say, we're going to live for it not to happen. We're going to believe that we can make a difference. We are going to believe that we can make our lives better today. Okay, the electrical grid might fail. Holy crap, maybe I better build up some electrical redundancy, put some solar panels on the roof, make sure it's not just grid time, that there's a battery backup system. So if the grid goes down, I still have power. Well, I've just increased the property value of my home. I'm participating in the eco-green movement. I'm saving the freaking polar bears, for God's sakes, right? At least that's what the environmentalists will say. I'm going to get some of my own money back from the government and those big subsidies. They're not subsidies. They're tax deductions. That's your money. Take it back. How positive is it to take your money back and get some control and some direction back over your money? That 20% of the cost was either going to go down some governmental rat hole or was going to help you pay for something that's useful in your life. How much more positive can you be than that? You put those solar panels on your roof. You put that small wind generation system in. Whatever it is that you do to create redundancy in your electrical system. You turn around and sell your house years from now. You don't think you're going to get more money for it? How positive is that? Every single thing we do is positive. Period. It's all about the mentality that you look at it with. You either look at it as exciting and noble. You look at it like some of the people on the forum. We almost have a little click on the forum now of people that say, you know what I'm doing? I'm prepping so I can retire. Right? I'm prepping so I can retire at 50 instead of 70. I'm going to get my life so self-sufficient, so self-reliant, so free of debt, everything paid off, some level of energy. I'm going to get all of it. And when I get all of it, I'm going to step back and go, you know what, maybe I'll work 20 hours a week at Walmart as a greeter or whatever it is that person wants to do. Maybe I'll go down and work at the library. Maybe I'll get a job at a book, whatever the person likes. You know, Maybe I'll go volunteer my time. Maybe I'll go work building houses for kids or something. I don't know. But that's... That's what some people are doing. It's up to you how positive you want this stuff to be. So, you can store food because the gloom and doom is coming. You could put in redundant electrical because the whole grid is going to fail someday. You can grow your own food and hide in the mountains when you do it because you're afraid they're going to come take it away from you. Or you can be a shining example of liberty, freedom, and self-reliance. And you can reach out to other people in your community. You can say, we do these things because they're better for us today. You don't even have to worry about what if this shit hits the fan. Except an occasional mental exercise to determine where your weakness is. Live life for today. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. You do all of these things... You're still doing the same things the person that's worried about tomorrow does, but you're, you're going to do them quicker, more efficiently, and with a positive mental attitude. And you're going to be more stable and more ready and more willing to deal with the bad times when it comes because you're going to have a positive outlook. So that's a great question, Heavy G. Hopefully I've kicked you in your Heavy G ass because, buddy, I love you, but every once in a while this crap with your wife, I get tired of it, dude. It's time for you to man up a little bit, man. And this is not just for him. This is for a lot of you guys out there. Man up and take that positive message to your wife. Right? Be the head of your household. That's what you're called to be. A man-woman household should be a dictatorship, but it's a one-tenth percent dictatorship. You should have 50.001, one-hundredth of a percent dictatorship. There should be times when it comes down to safety that you just step in and say, we're going to do this, and we're going to enjoy doing this, and let's get on with it, right? So quit hiding who you are. Quit trying, and this is for everybody, quit trying to make it something that it's not. This is not just in case one day we have Red Dawn or the New World Order. This is so tomorrow if you lose your job, you can take care of your family, so those of you that say that it's negative or that you know, my wife won't let me or my husband won't let me, man up or woman up. Take that leadership role on this one thing and say, this is what we're going to do and we're going to be happy about it. Sounds easy. I know it's not, but you can do it. And it all comes to do with your attitude. And if your attitude's positive when you're doing it, eventually you win them over because people are attracted to the positive and they're repelled by the negative. People find the negative interesting. That's why we watch stories about you know criminals and things like that, but we're actually repelled by it. It's just interesting. When things are really positive, it might not make the best television programming, but that's the things that we actually want to directly associate with us. So you hit the nail on the head with positive. So in the words of Mike, freaking just do it. 
do the same things and just be positive about it and see the immediate returns that they give you and the short-term and medium-term returns that they give you even when nothing goes wrong. Do that and the situation takes care of itself, man. Let's take another question. Okay, the next question is a little bit political, a little bit political, really, because it's not about an issue, it's about a person. Uh, this comes from Rich. I don't know where Rich lives, but he's not a Texan because he says, Jack, although not a Texan, I've taken interest in your gubernatorial race. I've heard a couple of interviews with Deborah Medina, who seems like a true patriot. I'm wondering what your opinion of her is. Um, my opinion of Deborah Medina, based on what I've seen so far, is pretty damn stellar. I don't agree with her 100%, but I believe she believes what she believes, and I believe that she is grounded mostly of, in all things of the Constitution of the United States of America. Uh, and with that, I have a person that, at least on the surface, looks really, really damn good. I did hear her in um, the governor's debate for the Republican nominees uh, on, in, on the radio on the way home on Thursday night, at least a portion of that. This was the biggest difference in what I saw with her and the other candidates. When asked a question that had a, a clear answer of yes or no, her answer would be, I agree with that because, or I disagree with that because. Yes, I am for that because. No, I am not for that because. Right? Or, um, yes, I've said that in the past and here's why. What I got out of Kay Bailey, more, even more than, than, uh, than Perry, who I have no love for, is no freaking answer to the yes, no part of any question whatsoever. Just, just, you know, she was being asked about an abortion issue and whether or not she's for Roe versus Wade. Now, let me give you her position. This is Kay Bailey Hutchison's position on Roe versus Wade. And I'm not going to take a side on this issue. I'm just going to tell you what hers is and why. So don't, don't write me and tell me why I'm wrong. Because this isn't my opinion. It's hers, okay? Kay Bailey's opinion on Roe versus Wade is it should be upheld. Even though she is for, uh, the right to life. She is a, she, on that issue, she's pretty solid as a conservative. You go, how can you be both? Well, her belief is that the Roe versus Wade decision uh, may have restricted states from uh, limiting abortion, but it's also restricted states from the wide-open uh, use of abortion, and it, it pushed that, uh, that authority to the federal government. Because of that, she believes that Roe versus Wade has actually reduced the number of abortions today. Don't argue with me. This is her opinion, okay? Get off me. I know I'm going to hear it from you guys, especially the, the super pro-life crowd out there. Look, it's not my opinion. I'm giving you hers, because she can't do it. All right, so her belief is that by doing that, we've placed limits at the federal level on things like late-term abortions, partial birth abortions, uh, requiring parental consent, parental notification, and things like that. And that if we overturned Roe versus Wade, all of those federal restrictions would be removed. And while some states like Texas would move far towards right to life, there are other states that would move very, very far toward pro-choice, and that it would increase the number of abortions in the state of Texas. But instead of just saying I am for Roe versus Wade because of that. You had to dig that out of her four answers because she was asked repeatedly, are you or are you not? She never gave a yes or a no. And Perry did very similar things. Uh, Rick Perry c repeatedly claimed that the uh, the taxes had been reduced in the state of tax property taxes. Well, I I've been here uh, for a long time, and my property taxes have never gone down. Uh, in fact, the only time my property taxes ever went down in the state of Texas was under George Bush. That's just the truth, guys. It didn't go down a lot, but it did go down. It did cut my property taxes for me, at least the state-level ones. So my property taxes in Texas have gone up or stayed the same every year uh, under Rick Perry. So I don't know what he's talking about. So here's where I realized how smart Deborah Medina is in this debate, folks. In this debate, each candidate could ask one other candidate a question. I wish they would have let each candidate ask both candidates a question. That would have been great. So... Um, Kay Bailey's turn comes to ask a question, and I figure she figures that Medina has no chance to win whatsoever. And I thought that, that Kay was really smart here. And then it just got it just got slammed on her, right? And this is why I love Medina, at least for now, as a candidate. We don't know until you know if she gets somewhere what she's actually going to do because she's never been anywhere before. But just on the surface here, Kay turns to Deborah Medina and says. Governor Perry claims that he's cut property taxes. Now, I've been all over the state of Texas. I've been in town hall meetings. I've talked to people. And I haven't met anybody in the state who would say that their property taxes have been, been cut. Miss Medina, have you met anybody in the state of Texas that says their property taxes has been cut? And I went, what a master politician for a little mousy lady. 
Because what she's going to do is use Medina to tear down Perry, and if that works, she wins because Medina's the third dog in the hunt that has no chance, right? Medina turns and looks at her. Well, I don't know if she turned and looked at her. It seemed like she did because it was on the radio, right? But Medina says to her, you know what? Here's the thing. I don't believe we should have state property taxes in Texas at all. I believe that they're unconstitutional under the Texas Constitution and that our state sales tax provides enough revenue to provide taxes for everybody. The two of you keep talking about cutting this and cutting that, and really all you're doing is still taking more and more from the people. What I think we should do is abolish the state property tax. Now, folks, understand this. That doesn't mean no property taxes. That means you'll pay the county and the school district and the city, but you won't pay the state. So that's what she's talking about. It's cutting the state's portion of the uh, of the school t- of the uh, property tax, which is the Robin Hood school tax, is what they call it here in Texas, because they tax a really great school district heavily, and they take some of that money away at the state level and give it to a crappy school district, right? So they rob from the rich and give to the poor. She's saying that's unconstitutional in her state constitution of Texas, which she's right. She said if we just got rid of that. We'd put, I don't remember what the number was, so many trillions of dollars back into the Texas economy and create $150,000 jobs overnight and and fall under our own constitution. So I don't care what either one of you say. I'm paraphrasing there. But I thought, man, rock on. Now, I don't know if this lady has a chance. But um, if she wins the nomination, it may be the first time I've ever pushed the uh, button or keyed the stroke or punched out the chat or whatever they have for us this year for a Republican in about six years. Uh, so I have a positive view of her. I know that's long. I know it's local to Texas. But I also want you guys to understand that the common people are stepping up and taking big shots. And this is an example of it. Uh, Deborah Medina is a common person. Now, whether she's going to work out, I don't know. But at least we get a regular common person in our government again. My hope is that other states will see this and follow um, Texas's lead. I, I'm encouraged by things like Jesse Ventura spending his time as a governor. Uh, but, you know, we're still looking at like an entertainer there. I think it's time that maybe we started, at, especially at the state level, in our state houses and our state senate and at the gubernatorial level, started electing people that we know on a first-name basis that are regular people just like us. And uh, we hold those people's feet to the fire and say, we're giving you a chance to change things. If you go over there and uh, you, you, you follow with the lobbyists, we're going to take you out real quick. We're not going to play that game anymore. I'd like to see that more across the country. Uh, let's get off politics and do something else now. Here's one. This is an interesting one. This is very subjective, honestly. It says uh, This comes from Stephen. And Stephen says, um, is it worth the extra money to buy certified organic foods uh, for what we get from the grocery store? Follow up: Are there some items worse for being for you for being non-organic than others? We love sh- love shopping at Whole Foods Market, AA Whole Paycheck, uh, but it's a lot more money, and my wife and I struggle with this thought. After watching movies like Food Inc. and doing our own research, we're more aware of what we eat. Thanks. I'll tell you. Here's this is one of the the the, the vegetables that has the the most need that you buy organic. Or if you can find some place that maybe you know is uh, pesticide-free, at least, like a farmer's market, you can talk to the actual grower. And that's green and red bell peppers. All, all, in fact, all peppers. Uh, they're one of the most sprayed items out there, and they retain a tremendous amount of uh, residual insecticides on them. If you're going to use them straight from the store, the normal ones, you need to make sure that they're being washed very heavily before you cut into them because you're taking whatever on the skin and forcing it into the flesh. And uh, I read that in one of uh, Dr. Andrew Wiles' books about them being one of the worst, which I found ironic because they were one of my favorite things that I would buy from the store. Um, my big problem with certified organic is that the organic process, the to, to be able to use the term, is so laborious and expensive that many growers who are growing completely organic can't use it in their marketing or claim that it's organic or something like that. If, if you come over to my house and I give you a tomato to eat for dinner uh, on your salad and I say, grew that in my backyard, it was organically grown, no one can do anything about that. But if I put it up for sale and put an organic certificate on it, um, the things that are going to be checked first when someone comes in to prosecute me have nothing to do with how I grew the tomato, believe it or not. They're going to be with how I filled out my paperwork and did I fill out my paperwork and have I, you know, have I conformed to this reg and have I conformed to that reg. And that's the problem and that's part of why the stuff's so dadgone expensive. Um, so 
it really comes down to do you want to support people that are doing that or not. And the thing is, you don't have to buy all certified organic to uh, to make a big difference. Some of the, one of the other things I would look at is corn. So corn and peppers. Corn because of the massive amount of genetic uh, genetically modified stuff that's in corn now. Um, and of course, that's going to be absent in uh, in most organic situations. In fact, I have to say most because we have open pollination, and you know things happen that, that, that the grower had no intention or even no knowledge of happened. Uh, it's it's a real conundrum that we're in right now. But I would say that one of your ways to deal with this situation a little bit better is to maybe buy some things organic and buy and buy what you can buy. I mean, one of the things I do to extend my storage capacity is, and I learned this from Dehydrate to Store on YouTube, um, is I go out and I buy massive amounts of uh, frozen vegetables and dehydrate them for long-term storage. And uh, it's very cheap, very inexpensive, and I know some of that stuff's probably not the best stuff in the world for me, because it's all, but it's only part of what we're consuming. So the human body can deal with a lot of these toxins and things when they're not in overload. Um, you know, it's just like we'll go out and we'll buy a ribeye steak right out of the meat counter, uh, but we also try to buy some organic grass-fed beef sometimes. So we, and we, then we try to bring in food that we catch or that we uh, go out and hunt and gather and fish that we catch and bring so that we have this kind of, you know, um, we're not just oversaturated with the worst of the worst. That's one of the ways to mitigate the expense. And then the other thing that you can really do is start dealing with local growers and local farmers market. Uh, look for CSA. Uh, you know, uh, that, that's one of the best things that all you can do is good, find a good CSA and get to be part of that. And if you start doing things like that, you can mitigate the expense a great degree over just saying everything we buy from now on is going to be organic. And grow some of your own. There's another way to mitigate the expense, especially things like salad greens. They're one of the biggest expenses that people have nowadays. You know, these little bags or these little piles of salad greens with all these different... That's one of the easiest things in the world to grow. You can grow at any time of the year. Uh, you can grow cold weather varieties with a little bit of cover in the, in the wintertime. Uh, you can bring them in the house if it gets that cold. Most of them can survive sub-freezing temperatures. You can find some shaded areas to grow them in the warmer parts of the year and grow more warm varieties. So those things you can grow almost year-round in most places so if you start doing things like that and then you know we have our own greens and then we go buy some organic tomatoes and peppers then we're really cutting the overall cost and maybe tonight we're eating steak that came from the regular butcher's counter and it may not be the best for us but maybe tomorrow when we eat beef we'll eat grass fed and if you do that and you give your body time to cycle these things uh, you're going to be a lot better off with your long-term health. Of course, in an ideal situation, you would get all of those things out of your life. Um, and if somebody tomorrow handed me $10 million, I'd never eat any of that crap again for the rest of my life. But I'm in the real world just like you guys. So I have to deal with these decisions just like you guys. That's how I deal with the decision. Now it's up to you to decide how far you want to go to one side or the other to that decision line. But great question. Thanks for asking it. Here's a couple things uh, from a guy I think is pretty cool. Um, got a lot of stuff going on in it, questions, thoughts, and uh, it's from a guy named David. Uh, David says, excellent show, 356 on prepping for beginners. Uh, you also mentioned storing fuel for a generator. There's an add-on conversion kit to allow most four-cycle generators to burn either gasoline, natural gas, or propane. This would either allow you to store less gasoline or run your generator longer using your using a large propane tank or natural gas. It gives me a link to one of them. Conversion's around three hundred dollars. I've not purchased one yet, but giving it serious consideration. Well, he basically wants me to know what I think of it. I think it's a great idea, um, as long as you have some some way uh, set up for these alternative fuels. So, let's say I have three hundred dollars, and that's all that I have, and uh, my my propane consists of a few tanks for uh, my grill. I guess I could use that to run some electricity, and, and that would be helpful. But really, the way that I would want to do that is I'd want to get a large liquid propane tank uh, put in. You know, like you used to see on the old farms all the time, great big giant tanks sitting out there. And in the movies, they would always get blown up, those kind. Uh, so if I don't have the money to bring something like that in, I don't know how much advantage that $300 is placed there. It might have more value somewhere else. Now, if I have more than $300 and I can do lots of things, it may be a good way to allocate that 300 bucks. But you've got to have some other source of fuel. If you live in a place where you have natural gas service, um, natural gas is one of the more resilient utilities. It's 100% underground. There's no aerial gas lines, right? And that's one of the, that's that's why the, your weakest links to your home are electrical and phone, because of the, the the portions of the services that are above ground, 
right? So you might live in a place where you have no phone lines and no electrical lines, everything's underground, but somewhere that stuff comes back up out of the ground, and somewhere there's a substation, that's out of the ground. And if that gets hit by the right type of weather event, then it brings it down. So one one line coming down five miles away from you might be the critical link that takes out your power. And if another line somewhere else, even the redundant loop that they could get you back up relatively quickly with, is gone, right? So you're down. Where gas lines are below the surface, and uh, even when lines are cut, they're often don't cut the surface. I've seen, we, we I used to do underground construction work, outside plant work, and we hit a gas line one time with one of our drills. And they came in, they, they cut it open, and a guy went in there and spliced it while the gas was blowing out of it. And uh, nobody actually lost service that day. It was a dangerous situation, uh, but for the homeowners, to them it was transparent. Uh, so it's a very resilient type of utility. Now, in a long-term shit at the fan, it would fail like everything else. But remember, we prep for day-to-day events too. So if you have natural gas, then one of these conversion uh, kits is gold. If you'll have someone come out, a plumber, and properly, properly install a feed for you, off your main natural gas line to your generator, you basically have, uh, until that gas fails, it's going to cost you money, but unending electrical power. You can put in a, you know, an 8K to 10K generator and run 90% of your home um, continuously just with that line running in there. You might get a big bill. You're probably going to get a big bill. You know, don't think this is a way to cheat the electric company. Um, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of redundancy there. So really, it's situationally dependent. If I'm going to do this, let's say, up in my place in Arkansas, there's no gas service up there. There never will be. They're not going to run gas lines up there for five people. They're just not going to do it. So if we're, we're lucky they ran electrical. I think there's some regulations that required it. That's the only reason that even happened. Um, but the gas line ain't going to happen. So the only way it's going to make to me a lot of sense for me to do this is for me to put in a large liquid propane tank and have it kept uh, really reasonably full by a delivery service and that would give me you know a one, a one big tank could give you a very long term uh, residual effect of uh, being able to continuously have some electricity uh, and then also maybe you know if you would if I did that I would also put in appliances that could use the liquid propane as well so Again, great question, but really situationally dependent. He says, another gas storage uh, suggestion for the podcast, get in the habit when vehicles are half tank, consider them empty and fill them up. I absolutely do that already. Our vehicles never go below half a tank. We always actually carry at least a little bit of reserve fuel in each vehicle. And uh, we also keep gasoline and diesel fuel uh, in long-term storage at the property. And about once a month, when the vehicles are half empty, we take a couple cans of each, dump them into the vehicles and take the cans with us and refill them and rotate them. And that way you have a lot of redundancy. Um, he said he also wanted to practice using a siphon to get gas out of a tank. Okay. Uh, he tried, but he was unsuccessful. I think some of the cars have anti-siphoning devices. They absolutely do. The old days, I could siphon a lot of gas out of a car real fast. Today, it's very, very difficult in most new model vehicles. Um, so I don't know why you'd want to siphon gas out of a car unless it was your own car. Uh, and maybe you needed a little bit of gas for like a generator or something like it. You're going to be much better off instead of breathing gas fumes uh, to uh, to go out there and store some extra gasoline. So good stuff from David. Uh, let's find another uh, question or comment to read on the air. Yeah, here's one I definitely wanted to read. It's more for uh, you guys on the forum that are out there every day helping each other than it is for me. I wanted you guys to know how much what you guys do is appreciated by people that maybe don't do a lot of posting on their own, that they just read. Uh, this comes from Ken. Ken says, Jack, just a quick note to thank you for the podcast and forum. I've been a prepper in my mind forever, have been a prepper in practice for a year or so, although I've been mentally planning my escape from the rat race to the land uh, for some time, many years in fact. Researched land last November and I'm slowly building up my prepper base as quickly as finances will allow. Anyway, I spent quite a while scouring the forum for info this evening while knocking back a beer. It hit me how unique and precious is the information you and your contributors have brought together. My instincts are generally pretty attuned, and right now, when I contemplate the future of the nation and wider world, I see dark clouds and a lot of suffering ahead. I'm not a pessimist. Heck, that's why I dare prepare, because I'm positive about the results of taking such steps and getting through whatever history sees fit to throw at us. Seems to me the writing is on the wall politically and economically. God help us, but thanks to you and others, I think many of us will come through the other side meaner and leaner. I refuse to allow fear into my life. Prepping is a great antidote to conquering uncertainty. Keep it going. You do a greater service for folks uh, than most of the Muppets on the Hill. Thanks, Ken. 
Hey, man, that's awesome. And, folks, that's not for me. That's for you. What this guy's saying here is how valuable that forum is. Well, folks, I'm a very tiny part of that forum. I'll put the name on the head of it. You guys made the forum. And uh, I think Ken's right. And I think it's amazing how sometimes uh, the law of the universe puts things together. Uh, Heavy G started out the show with a question about staying positive. I give you my answer. Ken had no idea you asked the question. He just gave you his. That's what's cool about community. We get multiple views, so that might have spoke to some people more than what I had to say about it. You know, everybody has a different way of seeing the same things. That's what this show's really all about. It's really all about community. Thanks for that, man. Let's take another one. Here's a good one. More, more what are people that are part of the survival podcast doing in the world? Hi, my name is Brandon. I'm an MSB member and a paramedic here in Florida. I'm heading to Haiti next week with a team of medics representing uh, CANVAS Church, Canvas Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, fo- hey, folks, I grew up in Jacksonville, at least when I was really young. Uh, we will be on the ground for approximately one week providing emergency medical uh, service uh, where needed, everywhere, I guess. We will be living out of our bobs, our bug-out bags, for the duration of the trip, as there will be no logistical support available for some time. I'm contacting several companies about supply gear donations. Some of the companies are sponsors here. I'd be thrilled if you'd offer uh, to offer real-world reviews to the TSP community. If you're interested, please drop me a line at your leisure. Thanks for a great show. Brandon. Well, Brandon, I'm going to be getting with you once you're back out of that place. And, you know, here's my point, folks, about prepping and having a preparedness mindset. There's a guy that the shit has hit the fan for a lot of people very, very far away from him. And instead of being the guy that says, when the shit hits the fan, I'll run away from it, this guy's running to it. Now, this can't always be the case. If the shit hits the fan everywhere, you've got to find a safe location, try to rebuild, and then you can help people. But in a situation where the, 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 the emergency is acute, which is the majority of all emergencies humanity's ever dealt with, the people that really care, the people that really make a difference, they don't run away, they run in. Sometimes they pay a pretty big sacrifice for that. But I think most of them wouldn't be able to live with themselves if they didn't run toward the danger. So, hey, babe, hey, Brandon, I haven't done this in a long time. Survival Podcast, salute of the week to you, Brandon, and your group down there. Uh, stay safe. Thank you for your service. I appreciate your contact, and please do get with me when you return and let me know what it was like down there. Let me know what you used in those situations and how it worked out for you. I think we can learn a lot from that. Thanks again, brother. Okay, here's uh, not really a question, more of a read on air from a fellow podcaster. Johnny Max and the Queen do the... Uh, the uh, homestead, uh, what, what is this? Jeez, I just had a mental brain fart there for a second. Um, it is called the Self-Sufficient Homestead Podcast. I think it's a great show. I've had him and the Queen on as an interview guest with uh, the Survival Podcast before. Uh, they're great people. Uh, they've been through a few hurricanes down there in South Texas, and uh, they're, they're doing it. They're doing the real stuff on their little, little acre of land, and uh, they're making it happen. Well, um, Johnny, like me, is a big believer that the government's full of crap about this global warming stuff. And I'm going to have to post this picture online. This is great. This is what I'm talking about. This is from April 1977, from the cover of Time magazine. It says, notice the magazine cover, this is Johnny writing here, was right at the end of the solar sunspot minimum in the chart below. Also, the cold weather we had shut down I-10 in Texas and Louisiana with ice. Uh, was about 1988 at the end. Okay, excuse me, something else. In 1988, uh, the uh, I-10 between Texas and Louisiana was shut down with ice, also at the end of the solar minimum, and the ice storm broke all the branches. The power was out for weeks in southeast Texas. Uh, was at the end of the solar minimum. Look where we are on the graph now, to the middle or the end of the solar minimum. Um, but it's interesting to see how the media spins crap. And this picture that I'll post today, Right, is a picture of Time Magazine. Okay, on it is a great big giant ice, you know, berg. On top of the iceberg stands a penguin. All right, a penguin, and the headline: How to Survive the Coming Ice Age. Fifty-one things you can do to make a difference. Next time, you're convinced. 
global warming is caused by CO2 and the planet is going to heat up and we're all going to drown under the ocean, the polar bears are going to evaporate. Go look at this picture. Again, I will post it online and put it in today's show notes so you can have a look at it for yourself. I think it brings a little bit of reality back to how nonsensical man can be with claiming he knows what's really going on out there. I don't think man really knows what's going on out there anywhere near as much as he claims to. I also think that we need to be more in tune with what we need to do to take care of things at home and that all of the things that the environmentalist wackos that believe in global warming want us to do, we should be doing anyway, except for taxing carbon and redistributing wealth globally. If we can get that out of the equation, I don't care what they think. I'll do all the stuff they want to do anyway because it makes more sense for us. I just thought that was interesting. I want you guys, because I've talked about this before. I've talked about growing up in the 70s and 80s and how they had people on the news all the time saying the debate was over. We have climatary models. We're going to go into an ice age. It's going to freeze. By the year 2000, the ice will be down to Pennsylvania. Oh, my God, we're going to die. We have to act now. We have to get rid of CFCs. Folks, this has all been done before. It wasn't even too, it wasn't even a full generation ago. It was a half a generation ago, folks. 20 years. Look to the past. Uh, I'll post it for you today. Let's get on something else before I get on a tirade about this. Okay, here's a brief one, and this one's more of a, a confession, and I, I like it because we need people to admit when they're caught kind of, you know, with their pants down, so to speak. Uh, I guess nothing really bad happened here, but, um, Here's the email yourself. comes from a guy named Jay out in uh, California. It says, Hi, Jack. Experienced the 6.5 earthquake in Humboldt County yesterday. What a wake-up call. Uh, this came in on the 11th, by the way. I had been listening to you for a year, and when the shit hit the fan, I was out of D batteries. I only had enough drinking water for two days. Encourage your listeners to test their preparedness and be ready at all times. Thanks. Now, look, folks. I know. I know it's going to be easy for you to say, well, Jay's in California. They have earthquakes all the time. He should be more prepared than me because it's more likely there's something, there's something that he would feel that way about where you live, wherever you are. You could be in the north and you get caught in a blizzard with your pants down. And Jay would say, well, he lives in the north. You can live in Florida and it could be a hurricane. And anywhere in between, there's something else it could be. Midwest, tornadoes, thunderstorms, flooding. Jay's sharing something here with us. He's saying, hey, look, I pay attention to this stuff. I know I should do these things. But when it came right down to it, and I had to have a little bit of a gut check, I'm glad it was only a gut check and it wasn't really a big thing. Because if I really had to depend on it, I wasn't ready, and now I know. And I want your listeners to know to be ready, too. See, folks, that wasn't the end of the world as we know it. That wasn't the black helicopters flying and the Illuminati are coming to get us all and take us away. Ah! No, that was a simple earthquake. Something that man has had to deal with since he first walked erect is an earthquake or a weather event or any of these other things. These things happen. Be prepared. Occasionally, I want you to shut off all electronic devices in your home. Imagine they're not coming back on for two weeks. Imagine you can't leave the house for two weeks and simply say, what will we do now? You'll find the holes. Please take Jay's advice. Please do this now. Please don't wait for nature or the stupidity of your fellow humans to do it for you. If you wait long enough, sooner or later you will be tested. The question is how far and how long will you be tested? Will you be tested for one cold night? Like we were in Arkansas recently? Or like Kentucky Farmer from the forum, will you be tested for three cold weeks with no help coming? Because there's too much damage. That's the difference. You never know what the timeline's going to be. But you do know that sooner or later we will all have to deal with some sort of an emergency. Test yourself. Don't wait for nature or the stupidity of your fellow human beings to test you. If you do that, you may very, very well regret them. Let's see if i got time for a couple more here. Yeah, i got a couple more we can take. Let's shift gears a big time here and take kind of a gardening sort of question here. This comes from Linda. Linda says, I want to personally thank you for all your hard work with these shows. They're wonderful. We've tried to live this way our whole married life, 35 years. I have a big garden. This past year, we doubled it by putting in 20 raised beds. Wow. 
put in more fruit trees. I have a question that is uh, the plague of the South. We're trying to be organic and mulch heavily, but we're plagued by fire ants. We live in a small subdivision, have an acre of land, and we're trying to make the best use of. The fire ants get into our organic garden under and under our fruit trees. I think they do a lot of damage to the root system. Is there anything, any ideas other than commercial poisons? There is a product um, that I learned about from backyard food production uh, that is called Antifuego. And it's basically made with molasses, compost, tea, and orange oil. And uh, you mix those together, and what it actually does is it, it kills the ants. And it kills them in a variety of ways. The orange oil kills them, uh, and then the, uh, the, the, uh, the molasses and the compost tea attract biological organisms that, that continue to break down the ants' bodies and basically return them to the soil. And my understanding is that antifuego is very, very effective. So there is an organic control. Let me help you with another part of this, though. I don't think the fire ants are doing any damage to the root system of your trees at all. In fact, the fire ants may be one of the most beneficial insects you can have around your trees, unless you step in the the nest and then they bite the hell out of you and then they really suck. And I, I am for controlling them to a degree. I'm not for wiping them out. Um, Marjorie down at Backyard Food Production, where I learned about this product, has found the same thing. What she said is if we kill all the fire ants in an area, then the cut ants move in and the cut ants come in and cut our crops down. Uh, the other thing about fire ants is they're predators. If you have them under fruit trees, uh, they're going to be out there attacking uh, all types of little creatures that would get on your fruit trees. And if some of your rotted fruit falls off, they're going to immediately take to eating it, breaking it down, and all the little uh, uh, fruit fly maggots that are inside your fruit, they're going to eat them too. So I'm not saying fire ants are a good thing. I'm just saying that there might be some consequences of killing them all that you're not aware of. And people would say, well, they're not native. They don't belong here. They've been here long enough. Now they occupy a place in the, in the uh, ecosystem. You might as well consider them native now. Are you native to North America? Well, you were born here. You probably think you're not a, you know, a native, you know, like a, uh, uh, you know, an American Indian, right? No, but, yeah, you're a Native American. I mean, God, you're born here. Your dad was born here. Well, the fire ants have been here for thousands of generations now. You might as well consider them a native part of the ecosystem at this point. We're never going to get rid of them all. All we can do is control them. Uh, the Antifuego, try that again. You can buy it online, uh, pre-mixed, or you can do it yourself. Again, it's, it's orange oil, uh, molasses, and compost tea. And uh, just uh, mix those, I think, in roughly equal parts. Uh, I'll find you a recipe and put it in the show notes so you can get exact. Uh, but uh, it, it works fairly well. I have not had much problem with fire ants here recently. Uh, I had them a while ago, and uh, I hate to admit it, but I used Amdro, uh, which is fire ant bait poison. I used the spot stuff. I didn't treat the whole yard, but I went out and put a little bit of bait around every single mound, and this was about two years ago, and I've had very minimal problems with them ever since. Um, there were The reason I did it is uh, I have about a third of an acre. I bet you I had uh, 20, 20 mounds uh, on a third of an acre. It was just ridiculous uh, that year, and it was it was everywhere. It was all the high. You could drive through all the roads and see the medians. Um, so I'll tell you what, um, Amdro is not organic. But you don't need much, and it's very specific to its target. It is a bait. They consume it, and they die. I am not in love with it, but it will work. And if you have a really bad infestation, again, using a spot treatment, uh, maybe one of the places where I'm willing to use a chemical that I normally wouldn't use. And see, this is we talked. This is how these questions mesh together. We talked earlier about organic production. Well, let's say I had a little mini orchard. I was producing organic peaches and things like that. If I had a fire ant problem and I went out and spot treated with uh, Amdro, I would no longer be an organic operation. But nothing I've done actually really affected the fruit, especially if it's done small. Spot treatment's done just long enough to rid or reduce the population and then move on. But the Fuego works, and I didn't know about that back when I used the Amdro, or I would have uh, I would have tried it then. But either one of those, I wouldn't hesitate to use. The small amount of Amdro that you might use on your fire ant mounds in a suburban, see, this is another thing, this part's of a suburban environment, it probably pales in comparison to all the crap that's leaking into your yard from all your neighbors anyway that are out there spreading chemicals every year with their lawn fertilizer and crap like that. So I wouldn't hesitate, but I wouldn't so much be ready to kill them all, and I wouldn't worry about them doing damage to the root system of your trees. I've never known that to be the case with fire or ants, and I've never seen any real negative consequences on the plants themselves. Uh, in fact, we had a little fire ant nest until it got too big that I let go in my garden one year, and I had very little pest problems. 
But I also had a problem with every time I forgot they were there and put my hand near them, they bit me. So uh, they're kind of a, a curse and a blessing at the same time uh, in certain ways. Here's one. Um, guy says, uh, the guy's name is, I don't know, uh, Scott from looking at his email. We'll call him Scott anyway. Scott says, Jack, I want to get extra propane tank for the barbecue grill, but I have concerns about storage. I know inside is a no-no and not near the barbecue. What are the best options? I thought it would be a good question for the show. P.S. Keep up the great work. Um, I'll tell you right, keep mine. I have a shed, and I keep them in my shed. I don't. I think that there's been a major overreaction to propane tanks and being a danger inside. The big danger, of course, is to be if if they leak into the house and you get gas and a reduction in oxygen at the same time uh, by having that leak into the house. Propane tanks are pretty resilient. Um, I'm not going to say they can't leak. They never leak. I've never known them to leak or anything like that. All I can tell you is I've never had a propane tank leak ever. I've never had one go bad. I've never had one fail. Um, so I'm not worried about keeping them in a shed. I would not keep them in a house just because, God forbid, something did go wrong. It'd be one of those things, man, I should have never done that. I knew better than to do that. So I'd never keep them in the house. But even just keeping them covered by a tarp, uh, they're pretty resilient. I guess the other thing is, if you're doing a cylinder exchange type situation where instead of, like, say, going down to local U-Haul with two empty cylinders and, say, fill them up, if you're going to a store where they have full, full cylinders and uh, you bring them in and exchange them like that, um, then let's say, like, I have four cylinders. Now, I barbecue a lot, but I go through those four. I probably go through six a year. Uh, so there's a constant rotation. So I'm not real worried about them getting wet or what have you. And they're designed to be pretty resilient when exposed to the elements. Think about how many um, little camper trailers and things like that you've seen with up on the front maybe a pair of propane tanks mounted. Uh, so if you, you, you might want to put an extra coat of paint on them or something like that if they're going to be outside. But I wouldn't stress that too much. I definitely wouldn't stress it to the point where you didn't get a few extra tanks. Um, I've got yeah I've got four tanks. And uh, so it's three in reserve and one that's on the grill at all times. And sometimes I'll let two go empty. It almost never happens. It almost, I mean, I think the only time that ever happened was one time I had the grill on low and I forgot to turn it off and it ran overnight and then, uh, and then it was empty. So then I went and filled two of them. But generally, as soon as one is empty, I go up and I exchange and I put it in the back. I keep three of them in the back of my shed. Um, so I keep them in a shed. And it's probably the best place to keep them. Uh, if you don't have a shed, I would keep them kind of around the back side of the house, place where nobody looks, and I wouldn't worry about them that much. Maybe covering them with a cheap and expensive tarp would be one additional step that you could take. Um, anything like that. Don't stress it, though. Don't make a big deal out of it. It's really not a big deal. Um, let's see. Do we want to do one? We'll do one more, one more question or comment, and then we'll wrap up for the day. Here's a great one, and I think it kind of wraps the whole show up. We had a lot about positive and negative viewpoints. Great question from Heavy G coming in at the beginning. You know, I kicked him in the ass a little bit. Great comment in the middle that kind of tied back to there. Here's a question at the end, and again, it's about community here and how these things mesh together without anybody trying to make them mesh together. Uh, Brian sends me a question, also known as Dark Winter on the forum. He says, I've been away from the forum for the past several months. I've been working a lot of overtime and staying busy, but I've noticed something. I seem happier when I do not pay as much attention to the world around me than I do when I monitor current events closely. With everything going on in the world today, earthquakes, political issues, the economy, 24-7, the end of the world as we know it on the History Channel, 24-7 cable news coverage, there's always something to be extremely concerned about. Some days I feel like a rabbit sticking my head out of the grass at every little sound. I feel more comfortable with my preps organized, but I'm not naive. I know my preps are only a band-aid, not the cure. I'd like to hear your thoughts on moderation and tra- taking a break from the world without putting your head in the sand. As always, love the podcasts and the forums. Brian, I think you're spot on. And as I wrap up today, I want you guys to maybe think back, and, and maybe it's easy to look at the survival podcast and the show that I do every day about always being about all the things that can go wrong. But it's almost never about the things that can go wrong. Go listen to 20 of my shows in a row, and you'll hear a lot more about solutions than problems. And you'll hear a lot of solutions that help you even if the problem never comes to be. See, my belief is that it's important for us once in a while to say, what the hell's going on out there? We might look at the global food threat. So I might do a show once in a while and say, this is how precarious the situation is. That's to smack you and wake you up. But then I'll do nine other shows that have nothing to do with the threat and only have to do with the solution. 
Why is that? Threats are constant. Okay, it, it, to, be, to make it a little bit lighter, maybe, does everybody remember the movie Men in Black with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones about the aliens? And when Will Smith, this, this is a great metaphor for life, guys, even though it's totally fictitious and nonsensical and comical and funny and a great entertainment piece, right? When Will Smith becomes informed that the aliens are here and they're always here, and he realizes that, hey, the whole world is about to be destroyed by this, this spaceship up in outer space... He starts freaking out. He's like, we got to do this, we got to do that. And what does is, what is his partner say? His partner says, there's always a ship out there ready to blow up the earth. We just do our jobs. Period. We can't worry that there's an imminent threat, because there's always an imminent threat. And a lot of times that's how I look at prepping. The causative factor, as James Stevens calls it, is not really as important as the solution. Because the solution is common across all the causative factors. From a job loss to the crash of the electrical grid. And everything in between, being debt free, having the ability to produce energy, having the ability to produce food, having reserve food capacity, having basic emergency and first aid supplies. Being ready to deal with that situation is a commonality that stretches across the entire horizons of threats to us from the individual to the global level. So there really is no need to focus on the causative factors and the threats other than occasionally to stick your finger up in the wind and go, yeah, winter's coming, it's, it's about that time. Or because you've gotten a little bit complacent to drag yourself back into the reality that things aren't quite as safe as the society would lead us to believe. But I hope what's become evident is that on some levels survivalism and prepping, especially as we talk about it here, is about opting out of societal norms. The pie-in-the-sky belief that everything will be just fine. We opt out of that. But we also opt out of certain conformities. You have to work a a 40-hour-a-week job for benefits and pay, and you have to stay there until you die. Put all of your money in your 401k. You don't need it until you retire. It'll be fine. We opt out of that, right? We say, hey, that's a vehicle, that 401k is a tool. There's a value there, but I'm going to save some money elsewhere that I can get my hands on short term if I need it, beyond my little emergency fund that nobody ever puts together. They just talk about it to feel good about themselves. We opt out of that. We can opt out of the news too, folks. We don't have to pay attention to the news all the time. I have a little bit of politics here. I had some today because I was asked. Pay attention here and there and elsewhere. But what I've come to realize is government won't fix the problem. It will only create problems, and then it will try to solve the problems that it creates. And when it does that, it will make more. And we're going to be the ones getting the the shaft in the end. So we better be prepared. We better live our own lives. We better create self-reliance and independence. Well, I don't need to read the news to do that. Don't stay away from the forum, Brian. Come to the forum and read the parts that don't have anything to do with politics and economics. You know a new person on our forum? Brand new person shows up there tomorrow, has one post. You know what? There's boards about politics, news, and economics you'll never see. There's a reason we did that. There's a couple reasons. One was because people are immature jerks, and they show up out of nowhere, and they know nothing about the show or the community, and all they have is a political axe to grind, and we took that away. But another reason that we didn't figure out until after we did it was it helps new people focus on the things that are most important and ignore the things that are least important, but we just find interesting as a community. So you have to make quite a few posts before you even get to be on those boards on our forum. That's the reason we did that. So when you're feeling overloaded by politics, by economics, stay off those boards. Go to one on homesteading. Go to one on prepping. Go to one on gardening. Go to one on storing food. Go to one on hunting. Go to one on fishing. There's about a thousand boards there now. Partake in the things that are more positive. Have a positive view. Remember what I said at the beginning of the show. Everything we do as preppers is positive. Everything. We have no negative energy if we take the right steps, do the right things under the right mindset. See, negative energy is about fear. I store food because there might not be food and I will starve. Therefore, I am acting in fear. Positive aspects of storing food is I store food because that way we'll always have food, and I don't need to be afraid. Same action, different mentality, different mindset. 
Growing a, a survival garden and a permaculture system in fear is, I need to make sure that I have food that I can produce for myself in case something goes wrong. The positive aspect is, I have a food production machine that feeds me. I don't need to be afraid if anything goes wrong. And I'm making everything around me better by my actions. Positive. Right? And this isn't Pollyanna. This isn't the universe will give you whatever you want if you just ask for it and believe and sit in the right lotus position and say, I'm long enough. And have enough positive energy channeled into the universe, it'll send it to you like ordering it from a catalog. That's nonsense. But there are certain things that are universal truths. And we do attract into our lives what we focus on. Because no matter, this is why, this is what all those motivational idiots leave out of the equation. The same thing's coming, no matter what your energy is. Alright? If you're gonna lose your job at the end of the month, because the plant is going to shut down, and you have really positive thoughts, it's still gonna happen. So universal energy has the capacity, the energy you send forth, the capacity to twist whatever does come to you into either opportunity or tragedy. And it's your choice. So this isn't metaphysical crap. This isn't magnetic nonsense. This isn't believe in a million dollars and it'll just show up on your door. It's believe that you have the the right to earn a million dollars if that's what you want. And whatever comes to you, you will figure out how to turn it into that. The human capacity. Well, it works the same for prepping. If the shit's going to hit the fan, if a giant solar flare is going to come out, bam, hit our electrical grid and take down our electrical grid and cause all of the things that happen in society when that happens to happen and they're going to go down around you, you and a thousand other people can sit out, contemplate your navels, and wish it away, and it's still going to happen if that is fate, if that is where we are headed. But if the person has the right attitude, the right preparation, the right mental focus, there's no reason to fear it. All it is is an opportunity to rebuild. Whenever tragedy strikes, in any shape or form, and whenever it's happened in the history of humanity, the people who were best prepared to deal with it because of the way they were already living day to day, even if they were mocked, were the people that profited spiritually, emotionally, and financially going forward. Everything we do is positive because we think about today and as a result we're prepared for tomorrow. We don't only think about tomorrow and only prepare for tomorrow. That would mean that if the disaster never came, we lost our bets, so to speak. That's betting on failure. What we're doing is betting on success. And we're betting on our success in spite of the things that may occur around us. We're building up redundancy, resiliency, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and community. That's what survivalism is all about. And you have to opt out of some of society's norms. It doesn't mean you turn your back on your community, your neighborhood, and society as a whole. It means that there are certain aspects of society you just simply say, I'm not participating in that anymore. And if it's not reading the, the newspaper or staying off of political blogs for a while, then do that. And when you want to know, when you have a, you know, you're going, I want to kind of know what's going on, take what you want and leave the rest. Because the reality is a causative factor matters far less than the way you're living your life today. And as I finish today, I want to wrap up with one last thought, and that is, today is Martin Luther King Day. And we should sit back and we should think about what a great American Martin Luther King was. And I know that there's people today that look around and go, you know, a lot of what Martin Luther King fought for came to be, and it has been twisted around by the very people it was supposed to benefit. So I'll finish with a thought for you today. If we're going to have a world where men are to be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin, then men must be free to judge other men based on the content of their character without being accused of judging them on the color of their skin. That's true equality. That's what I believe Martin Luther King would have wanted. That's what I want in our world. So my challenge to you today is to always uphold that point to judge other men and other women and other people around you by their actions and their deeds and their words and choose how you interact with them based on that. Resist the temptation to hate or dislike another person because of who they are. But when someone 
says that what this person is doing or saying is wrong, I call on anybody to leave the color boundaries and barriers and race and belief systems and religions out and allow that judgment to stand the test of time and reality. We cannot have one without the other. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.